Welcome and thank you for joining us in season three of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel Tolbert, reverend, friend, pastor, father, shalom. Yes, all the aboves, and back at you, my buddy. How are you today? And just for the record, when I was saying father, I literally meant you are a father. I wasn't right. making a religious joke. Okay. Thank I you. I just want to Appreciate be clear. that. Yeah. Nor that I'm old enough to be your daddy, which I am not. <laughs> no, God forbid. <laughs> oh, goodness. How are you? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to be driving over across the bridge to a hospital way over in Baltimore from the Eastern Shore. Because one of our precious ones, who's been on a ventilator now for a while, might be taken off of that ventilator soon. And that's mm. that's a hard one. It's a hard one for her and her family and for anybody else who knows her and loves her. So it's, uh, you know, it's frustrating and sad. And we go with with love and hope anyway. Is this someone, and I'm, I'm asking because of COVID, I know under normal conditions, the answer would be, of course, but is this someone you've met personally? Yeah. Yeah. They were regular attendees here at this church before I got here, and he was pretty sick right when I got here, and I was able to go visit him, and uh, her husband died way back in 2020, um, right after the beginning of the pandemic from a long, severe illness, and now she doesn't have... Um, a, she just has some complications from some other things, but she's older and she's dying. So I did get to know her personally and um, hear some of her story. She's a she's an amazing Newcastle fan, uh, and so she and I were able to chat about the Newcastle Manchester United. She's from over there, so we were able to chat. Oh, I was soccer. like the beer. No, <laughs> she's like, from over there. <laughs> So we talked soccer and her growing up over there and her... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, her experience of the war um, way back It's then. great to have those connections with congregants, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's priceless. Yeah. For me, it's not as much soccer. It's more with teenagers talking about video games. But no, no. But I, 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 yeah, finding those points of connection with congregants of all ages is so important. Uh, so who went first last week? I don't remember. I don't either. Flip a coin. And heads. What does that mean? I don't know. You didn't call it. Uh, I would have called tails. I always call tails. Always. (laughs) So you are. That way I don't, that that way I don't have the, oh, darn, I knew I should have called heads. I literally call tails every single time. Now that we know that, I look forward to playing some games with you. Yeah, with some with some cheating. All right, I'm ready. Weighted, uh, I can do this. Coins. I know what to talk about. All right, about. do it. So last week we have a group called Pub Theology. We meet in a little bar <laughs> out back, and uh, we order beers and oysters, and we chat through a theological book together. Um, and last night the topic was um, how do we confess in context? Meaning, everything that we try to say about God 
is contextual to who we are, how we were raised, what era it is, all that stuff, our race, our nationalities. And and we were we were kind of stuck in this chapter as we debated this with some younger to older folk, the difference between is it more important when you're doing religion to translate it into the particular context so that those in a context hear words that make sense to them? Or is it more important to enter a particular context and to translate the universality of who God is and what God is doing? So, and and there was a pretty significant debate at the little table there about this. From one perspective, if you don't, enter into the context of the people that you're doing theology, ministry, imagination with, it's like speaking a foreign language. It's worthless. So you have to go into the particularity. But on the other perspective, if you only do the particularity and not stretch them to the universality of it, it's coddling a particular context, not pointing to the God who is bigger than any particular context. And and I'm I it kind of blew my mind as I went to bed last night realizing, oh no, every clergy professional and every congregation and synagogue anywhere has this problem. Are we taking care of our own and speaking a language that makes sense to us right now, comforting us right now, or are we stretching ourselves to look at the ones beyond us who need this love and care and understanding? And that tension is, it's, I think it's a both and, but I am, I wonder how you perceive that as a possibility in, in your faith and in your congregation. So um, it's interesting. I wouldn't call it a problem. I, I, you use the word that I would call it, which is a tension. Um, I think it's a problem if you don't think about it and if you don't realize that it's there, but it in of it. In and of itself, I don't think it's a problem. Um, so I'll, I'll tell a story, and you could tell me if this relates to what you're saying. It, 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 it legitimately may not. But um, when I was in Omaha, um, the Jewish Federation of Omaha, which um, it's kind of hard to explain what that is, but it's kind of a community organization that works with all the local synagogues and auxiliaries to basically promote Jewish community. And, and they have funds that they allocate to different programs. And there was this idea, and I don't know if they're still doing it. I mean, this was when I was there. That So, you know, lots of people know what a bar bat mitzvah is. It's when a, a Jewish child is uh, the age of 12 or 13 and leads the service and gets called to the Torah. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big life cycle event. And there was this idea of let's teach kids how to be philanthropists, not just to donate money, but how do you save money and invest money to think about, you know, in thinking about your priorities? And so there was this idea that kids would essentially start an account and they would put money in that account and the federation would manage would manage it. And every year, and I may getting be getting the particulars wrong, but it doesn't really matter. And every year, the sum of that balance would go toward organizations that the child and their families decide, but but the balance would never go to zero. And so it, it would be like a, a very minuscule version of a, um, what do you call it? A foundation, right? So the debate 
became, well, what organizations are we going to list as, you know, valid organizations? And there was this real debate about should they be specifically for the benefit of Jews or can they be larger than that? And there was a real divide. And um, myself and the senior rabbi where I was both believed very strongly that it needs to be both. Now, a child and their family may choose to only give to Jewish organizations, but they need to be allowed that choice. And I stand by that kind of as a philosophical approach um, that for me, and I think I may have said this line to you before, and then I'm going to be quiet. Uh, we have a, a a family member that grew up, uh, he's at, passed away tragically last year. Uh, he was on the board. He, he grew up in our synagogue and then uh, spent most of his career in Atlanta. And he worked for, I'm sorry, he was on the board for American Jewish World Service, which collects funds mostly for third world countries, the majority of which citizens are not Jewish, um, but it's a Jewish-owned organization, if that makes sense. And one of the things that he would always say, uh, uh, and his name was Dale Schwartz, may his memory always be a blessing, was we don't do this because they're Jewish. We do this because we are Jewish. And so for me, part of the particularity of being Jewish is in recognizing the universality of God's creation. Yay, that that one helps. At the same time, to be Jewish, and is I spoke a very too long. Per- I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, perfect. And at it's the same your topic, and I'm still talking. Look, I'm still it's going. Lovely. <laughs> and at the same time, like to be Jewish is a very particular thing. Like, and and you can't just say you're Jewish. You like, no. There's there is a particularity to being Jewish, and there is a universality that being Jewish pulls you toward, like that it makes you go do that, serve those other countries, not because they're Jewish, but because you are. So I that seems like a fair balance to honor the particularity and recognize that the particularity has a purpose to point to the universality. But what I find is religious organizations are less and less and maybe this is the um, bowling alone issue, the social connection issue, the demise of our social Well, you just aged yourself. That's an old one. <laughs> it's about 20 years old now. That's right. Um, but it, it has to do with this, the way that we feel a sense of connection and community and what those connections do for us. And, and in that framework of study, there are connections that bind us together – and then there are connections that bridge us to others. And what seems to be happening because of social media and uh, customized news platforms and all that, we are scrapping the bridging social connections and choosing only the, the binding social connections, the echo chamber, so to speak. And and I find religious institutions and congregations to be preferring that as well. We show up for our particular, our particular preference of music, our particular preference of theology, our particular preference of who a good preacher is, our particular preference of politics at a 
at a church. And we don't care to bridge across. When we come on a, a Sabbath, it is to get what we need, our particular. And if you challenge into the particular institutional religious space, the bridging call, that that makes some folk pretty uncomfortable because they're not there for that. They're there for the echo chamber or the the bonding social connection, not the bridging social connection. And and I don't think I can do God without the universality. I I can do a God in a particular space with a particular people, but I can't stay there and call it God. It has to be bigger. And and so it feels like um how do we as clergy invite our congregations and communities and denominations or whatever to remember we don't do it the way we do it because our way is right. We do it the way we do mm. it to train us to do it bigger, to do it broader, to do it wider, to make new bridges. Yeah, that's well said. Um, sometimes I think about uh, the first two books of the, of the Torah, of the Bible, you know, the God of Genesis is a universal God. God creates the world and all of humanity. God of Exodus for the Jewish people is very particular. God frees the Jews from Egypt. And so it's not, it, it is a both and. God is both. And at times, it's important for us to be both. So for, you know, for example, um, when we talk about anti-Semitism, yes, there is hatred of all kinds, everywhere. Um, but anti-Semitism is its own particular brand, and it is important to name it in the same way that it's important to name Black Lives Matter as opposed to All Lives Matter. The specificity is necessary. Um, and there are times when universality is necessary. Uh, and of course, depending on theology and framework, it's very different. I'll, I'll share you one thing that I think about all the time. You know, both of us believe in God as the creator of the universe, but your brand, so to speak, of Christianity and my brand of Judaism in terms of who God is could not be farther apart in some ways. For you, God had a son named Jesus that did these certain things and represent certain things. And for me, God didn't. Those are very important particular differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where, like for a Christian... That's where particularity becomes ridiculously important. Like we, we try to grasp this universal God that is ungraspable, and we grab for metaphors and words and rules, and we just can't get there. We, we almost get there. We see hints of God, but God is always veiled and clouded. And then there's this Jesus, this ridiculously particular person out of Galilee, a Jew, and he embodies something about what God always meant and who God always has been in a particular way. Now, if if God was to be particular today, it might be a, a Palestinian Jewish male, but it, it might not. And, and so there's a difference between the particularity of a Jesus and the universality of a Christ. And uh, Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, talks about the cosmic Christ. And and where you and I, we could disagree on the Jesus part. There is a part of you when you talk about the universality of God that is very similar to the cosmic Christ that I'm talking about. The Un Undoubtedly, but the one thing that 
to me is important is we use different language and different frameworks. So I would never use, and I don't, by no means do I mean this uh, critically or, or, you know, a, anything like that, but I would never use the words cosmic Christ unless I was teaching about Christianity. Now watch, I'm going to use it in a sermon next week. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just like you would never, for example, say the Shema, even though you probably do believe that God is one. Or, or the unity of God, right? So, right. you know, we, we have our particular frameworks for that. Well, and I – sure. I If I didn't use the Shema, it would be out of respect for y'all. In my heart, I can still say that and believe it. And if I hear somebody say it, it grabs my attention. If You know, if I hear somebody say, Hero Israel, it turns my head because I consider myself – some in some weird universal way, part of God's great family. But the the cosmic Christ are two weird words. And what they really mean is a universal God, a universal Savior, a universal Redeemer, a universal Lord. And that Christ is just the Greek form of the Hebrew term Messiah, Messiah. So which anointed you, one. Yeah, which you do use. Um, you don't use it necessarily for God, but you you use it as a, a tool or an instrument or even a son of God who who is going to do holy things that help God's people. So they're, the weaving beside one another is interesting, and I'm, I'm stuck uh, in between the particular and the universal, and I'm, I, th- I guess I'm really proud of the particularities that we all enjoy. But I, I'm going to go into a phase, I think, for the last 20, 30, 40 years of my life where as particular as anybody wants to be, if it's not pointing to universal, I'm not going to have time for it. Um, it, it has to. like it, It's welcome to start as particular as it wants to start so that it can grab somebody's attention. But it can't stay there. It has to move towards the universal and point towards the universal and teach the universal. And if all it does is just sit and, and honor and echo, I, it's probably a fake gospel. Mm. I like the idea that it has to have both or it has to, it has to have the universal. And I would say, um, I mean, I'm agreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing at all. But I, I would say it also has to have uh, particularism. Yeah, and um, I guess I guess what I'm trying to figure out is I need folks to know that while it does have to have the particular because of you being particular, the particular is not true. It is a way of pointing to the universal oh, truth. Right? So you can use the particular as true in ways that it points to universal truth, but don't get confused that the particular is the true. It's only true in how it is metaphorically or um, becoming a conduit toward the greater. Mm. That's good. I think yours, yours is more interesting than mine. Doubt it. No, I think so. So, you know, I've been thinking lately just kind of what does it mean to 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 do religion well? Or 
in in kind of modern parlance, when people say, oh, I'm not a good Jew, I'm not a good Christian, um, you know, on a very basic level, when people say that to me, what they usually mean is, oh, I don't go to services that often. <laughs> and so, I, you know, part of me, like, do we wish that our that our congregants went to services more and it, and if so why i mean is it an ego thing is it and it's not you know i'm saying a lot of things that are just kind of it's it's a it's a mosh and as usual you'll help me think about it more clearly so it's a little bit of you know i think an attendance thing of how many times do you click the box of okay i'm going to temple or i'm helping out with the committee or i'm volunteering at this event um but it, and it's also very private. It could be someone studying the Torah in their home, or you know, reading a nonfiction book about Judaism, or you know, all all sorts of things like that. And I, I, I try very hard not to be the rabbi that you know judges my congregants' religiosity. As a matter of fact, I, I not only do I try, I quite I, honestly, I think I succeed because I'm just not that person. Um, and. You know, of course I notice who comes and who doesn't just because I'm observant and I see it, whether it used to be in the synagogue, now it's on Zoom, right? So I don't know. Help me play with that um, for a little while. We've got this weird phrase in our book of order. Um, I, don't, I don't know if y'all do this. Do you track the membership of your synagogue? If by track the membership, you mean like have a roster of yep. of member? Absolutely, names, numbers, yeah, all that. Absolutely, because to so to be a member, and this may be different for us, uh, but this is common in in synagogue life. Is people apply like there's an application for membership, and you know families write their kind of demographic history, um, you know, who's Jewish in the family, who's not, kids' names, grades, all that sort of stuff. And there's a pledge. There, there's a financial commitment. Yeah. And so – and then the board actually votes on them. Um, and it's it's 99.9% .9 pro forma. The only reason the board votes um, is if someone was joining that – you know, has malintent or if, if I'm questioning whether they're Jewish or there's something strange going on. I can't think of a single time in 15 years of a rabbi where a member has applied and they haven't been voted in, but it has to be noted because it's kind of an official membership. And I'll also say um, when someone pledges, the board does not know what the pledge is. I do not know what the pledge is. There's like three people. It's very confidential. So it's not, you know, the vote is not dependent on someone's financial pledge in the slightest. Sure. Yes. Perfect. And it's really similar in the Presbyterian Church. We also go through a time of training and learning and remembering, and we track down, have you been baptized? If so, where, by whom? Um, in what denomination, and for Presbyterians, it doesn't really matter what denomination, as long as you, were you baptized with water at some point? <laughs> and if so, then that baptism is honored in our strain of Christianity. That's not true in reverse, by the way. Um, and our board mm -hmm. votes to receive somebody into membership. And we, of course, invite them to be fully involved in the life of the church. And and the way I say that to people is four lenses. Um, worship. You'll show up for the worship life of the church regularly. I, I don't say anything more than that, but you'll show up for the worship life of the church regularly. Um, two, you'll connect with some group in the church because you can't know everybody in the church. 
But And you can't be known by everybody in the church other than like name and face. But make some friends here. Don't just think of us as friendly. Go deep. Mm. Make some friends here and spend time with people in this crew. Have meals, you know, do something, study something together. I don't, I don't care. Just make friends here. Three, serve. Find a place to serve the church and find a place to serve one of our organizations beyond this church that, that we consider a, a fair partnership. And four, give. So worship, connect, serve, give. And, and our active member is defined as a person that is actively participating in the work and worship of the church. So if I see somebody that I know, they're active. They have a small group. They're active. They go help with that that building project. They never come to worship. I pull on them a little and say, hey, we need you. You need us. This is important time. What's up? And, and they may say, it doesn't feel right. I, I don't understand it. I don't like the language or, you know, I don't like the songs or I don't agree with the affirmation of faith that, that we say sometimes. And, and then we go through all that. Um, it, basically, why none of that matters. Right? It's just, it's yeah, just you being course. here and doing the disciplines. But I, I don't think that the religious practices are um, are required by God, but I think they are required to become fully human. And, and, mm. and so somehow in there, I don't invite them to do it to make God happy. I invite them to do it to become their true selves, their full selves. I like that. And is there, just from a practical standpoint, is there like uh, uh, not peer pressure in the traditional sense, but the, I, I mean, I, I guess the hope is everybody else is doing it. Therefore, you know, we need to step up. I hate that, but yes. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, we haven't seen you in a while. That's like my least favorite yeah. comment to say to somebody. Yeah. Who I don't. Yeah. Absolutely. I just try not to I'm say not anything. Like I just walk right up to them. If you know, if a guy grab his hand, pull him in, do a guy hug, right? If it's a gal, spread my <laughs> arms, do a lady hug, whatever. Uh, you know, I just yeah. it, without saying anything, I just try to show what it means to me to have their presence right there. And um, we took masks off for the first time since holy cow. Yeah, right? I have a feeling we're 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 close to that. I have a feeling we we've got one Sunday now behind us with no mask, and like wow, it was it's weird, um, and it's a little scary. But it not like I'm not scared. I'm going to get sick. I'm just scared that somebody in the room with me is going to get sick, and it's going to be our fault. Yeah. So I'm yeah. Uh, um, but I saw a guy, and he he came to worship. I don't know if he's been to worship since we've had masks. I, I am trying to remember, but I right. know he's a part of a group. I know he's out there doing some stuff. I know he's watched online, but I don't think he's come to worship since we've forced masks onto people's faces. I saw him, you know, Sunday, and I made sure to shake his hand and hold his elbow and ask him yes. about his small group. And I didn't say, oh my gosh, we've missed you. <laughs> didn't throw that guilt trip right. on him. That's right. And I, you know, I try, um, I mean, this is a little bit different, but you know, if someone who is a regular at services 
I don't see for a while. I contact them, not because, you know, oh my gosh, why weren't you there? But, you know, to make sure they're okay. Because if someone has a habit of coming every Friday and then hasn't, you know, maybe something's going on with them, which is totally different, but, you know, adjacent. So are you asking about about religious practices as part of identity? A little bit, but in the, you know, in, in terms of reform Judaism, not as much as just kind of, you know, I don't know if this is a small synagogue thing or just a human thing of, you know, we have different populations that sometimes criticize the other populations because they're not doing enough, pulling their own weight, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, even if it's true, which I'm not sure that it always is, it doesn't do the synagogue any good. It's not good to have these kind of bifurcated groups where, you know, one thinks that they're doing all the work and the other thinks that, I mean, yes, there are people in organizations that absolutely do more than others. Um, and also depending on time, you know, our ritual committee, you when and this year will be one of those years because it'll, as I knock on wood 15 times, will be kind of a normal year in terms of all of us being in the sanctuary, that sort of thing. Like during the high holidays, our ritual committee is incredibly busy and doing a lot of stuff. Whereas uh, at other parts of the year, maybe they're not. And, you know, there's ebbs and flows. And I just wish there was less of a judgment. And I'm not talking about theological. I'm talking about amongst, you know, parishioners and congregants toward each other. Yeah. I, I did do a sermon series one time during our stewardship season called Five for Five, and my invitation to everyone in the church was to be a five for five, five out of five disciple. And in Christianity, we have a, a few benefits here. Um, to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, to walk the way is a discipline. It isn't a belief, and I keep trying to tell people those Christians out there who talk about, well, I believe in Jesus, uh, y- y'all, that doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Jesus's belief in you matters. Your belief in him doesn't. What matters is the practices, the disciplines. Do you live your daily life in a way that looks like what he said? Um, and, and what does that mean? Well, worship, connection, service of the church community, the insider community, the particular community, and then service of the universal community, the world, and give some of your treasure. If you have those five practices, yahoo, you're rocking it, right? And if you barely do all five, fine. That's great. You're you're growing <laughs> as a human being. If you don't do four of them, but give a lot of money, you're unhealthy right and and i i try to show people like the little single mom who comes to worship twice a month who does her once a month study right who helps with the flowers and who helps in the communal garden and who gives 20 dollars a month that is a rock star christian <laughs> she is kicking butt and the wealthy dude who comes just for christmas and easter and writes a $15,000 check, he is a sad sack. And I need him to show up more often, please, and to and to serve with time and talent, not just with checkbook. Yeah, there's more to say there, but um, 
Because is it that it's not is it that easy? I mean, you if I mean like you're. I mean, I don't mean this callously, but you're going to accept the check. Of course. Right? Yeah, but right. but by invitation to the person who doesn't show up for worship and who's doing four other things, right? But they don't come to worship very often. My invitation yes. to them is gentle. But if I find somebody who never does four of them and writes a big check, my inv- invitation to them is harsh, even if it's a big check, right? Hey, yeah. what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. Where are you? You need to get in the men's study. What? Do you- come on. Well, I don't need that stuff, and y'all need my money, uh, right? And I've bumped into guys like that in church. They're always guys. Why is it always oh, sure. guys? They're never gals who do like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe you and – do y'all have a process of identifying your members who are more or less involved? And do you have a team – in your community that follows up with those who are less involved? No. And and I, you know, it's interesting. I don't really know of any place that does. Now, there's certainly, you know, we have a membership committee and part of their job or our job is when new members join the synagogue to find out what they're interested in, what their passions are, and kind of plug them in. What's challenging about that is oftentimes a new member Sometimes it's their first time belonging to a synagogue, or it's certainly the first time belonging to our synagogue. So it kind of takes a while to get a feel. And then after two, three years, maybe they know, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But no, we have no kind of official orchestrated process to delineate kind of levels of participation. It's more anecdotal of, you know, what, yeah. This person comes every Friday, we should ask them to be on the ritual committee kind of thing. Although we also want people on the ritual committee that don't come every Friday because that we need to appeal you know, to, to that kind of segment of the population too, and old and young and all, all that sort of stuff. So th- this will probably freak some people out, but uh, in the business world, let's say that you're a, a middle management or even a, you know, a, a assistant vice president of when you turn on your computer at work, you probably start your day with a dashboard that has certain graphs, pie charts, whatever. And these are your great measurables. Um, did all my inventory come in? Yes, no. And, and you see what percentage of it did. Um, how many of my products passed quality inspection? Am I above the line or below the line of acceptable? Um, how many of our stuff shipped on time? Right. And and depending on your department, you have a sp- specific measurables that are telling you whether you, on behalf of the corporation, are doing a good job and making things flow as y'all hoped they would. Well, to measure church feels so hard. And people say there's only two measurements of church, that it's butts in seats and dollars in, in baskets or whatever. Those are the only two measurables. No, that it, those are not the only two measurables. And if I could... I would give every clergy person on the planet a dashboard on their computer of five measurables. Of all of your people, how many actively participated in worship over the last 10 weeks? How many actively participated in some small group of fellowship, study? How many actively served your congregation in some way? How many actively served the world because of your congregation in some way? And how many actively gave money? 
five for five. And imagine if you knew, like you could click, <laughs> right, on that pie chart and say, holy crap, we're, we're kind of struggling in serving the world. All the other metrics seem to be doing okay, but we're sucking in serving the world through our congregation. And you could click that and see the people who are and who aren't. And you could invite the people who are to tell stories. Hey, why do you serve? And they would tell. And then you could track, okay, are we, are we growing the number of people who serve that way? I, I, feel like, I feel like congregations need that. If we're really interested in growing people whose lives are well-rounded and balanced and they're fully immersed in the religious community and the disciplines and the practices and they're growing because of that, if we believe these practices make a difference, then why would we not measure and encourage people to practice them? And it, it's frustrating to me that congregations don't, don't do that. I've never been able to to actually practice this in a congregation yeah. because it freaks people out. I like, I like out. the framework. I'm going to think about that. I like that. I just wrote it down. I, I, I really like that framework uh, as a way of thinking about success um, and measuring it to some extent. We have a gift here. We have a board that you know that runs the church. We also have a second board of deacons, and they are the ones who take care of the flesh of the church. They have three primary responsibilities. They love on our homebound. They take care of those on our prayer list, and they follow up with those who are missing. And for now, that list of those who are missing, we are really mean those who haven't been in or around worship. At some point, right. those who are missing could evolve to be those who aren't in worship or don't have a small group or don't have a place to serve or don't give any money, and, and they're invited to you know, enter into the fullness of the community. Good stuff. Well, have a good week, everyone. Yeah. Good talking to you as always, Joel. And uh, yeah, keep it real, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert. And on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.